welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, we are not watching President Trump's address. We are coming at you a day early with Kyle Shanahan's passing game. David was so excited, so, <laughs> so excited to bring this episode to you. He wanted to kick it off uh, a day early. So, David, what, what got you so excited? I don't know, man. It was just like all the... Like, we're getting news today. Like, there was just a bunch of news. And it was just stupid things like franchise tag stuff, guys getting cut. Like, but it's just, you know, I don't know. I'm ready to move into the offseason more than maybe I have been in a really long time. Um, you know, a lot of times we we skip over a lot of this stuff. But it's just like, man, everything during the season has been so terrible these last couple of years that it's just like, I'm excited the offseason's here. I'm ready to get in draft stuff. I'm ready to get a free agency, like. Let's do it. Yeah, we thought we thought we'd have a lot of off season, or we thought we'd have some downtime in the off season, and that there wouldn't be a whole hell of a lot. And all of a sudden, here we are, and we're, we've got content out for the next several weeks, so it's going to be good to get into it. We've got a, a jam packed show. We're going to talk about Shanahan's passing game. We're going to talk about some of his verbiage because it's interesting to say the least. And we're going to get to some of the fun concepts that Kyle Shanahan likes to run. But first, let's get to the rundown. Some actual newsy things happened. We have got a signing. We've got more signings this offseason than we had all of last season. And we start with new defensive tackle Earl Mitchell. He came from the Miami Dolphins. He signed a four-year, $16 million deal with $5.5 million in the first year. And while we don't have the full details or breakdown yet, it does seem to be uh, a bit front-loaded, which makes sense given the vast amount of cap space the 49ers have going into the season. Yeah, I mean, I think we've been pretty upfront in saying that that we're not in the camp where we we kind of hope they go and spend a lot of money in free agency and, and kind of go after a lot of guys at the top of the market. But I, I think when they do, and, and they're almost certainly going to continue to sign guys, right? Like This is the type of thing that you expect when you're you're going within a completely new regime, right? Uh, with, with the guys that they got coming in there, like there's going to be some roster turnover. And I, I would, wouldn't expect many of the... Uh, you know, previous unrestricted free agents that the 49ers have, like I wouldn't expect many of them to come back. And so you're going to have to, you know, go out and sign guys, more guys than you would typically because of the situation. But these are the type of deals that I hope they continue to sign. And uh, it, it's deals where it's a lot of money's coming up front, you know, in this year where we have a bunch of cap space and you're not really going to be on the hook um, for, for long-term money for a lot of these guys that way you know, in a year or two after you kind of have a chance to build through the draft a little bit and, and it comes time to maybe part ways with some of these veterans that aren't necessarily key pieces, you're not going to be, you know, screwing up your cap situation to do so. So, uh, yeah, I, I like the deal. I mean, it's a lot of, you know, decent amount of money for a guy that's likely to play, uh, you know, nose tackle and be kind of a part time player on this defense. But uh, again, it's not going to be something that hurts them long term, which is the big thing. You know, I don't I wouldn't even expect him to be on the team or I would expect that his place on the roster would become dubious after the first two years. But this is probably going to be a front loaded contract in two years. He's going to be 30 years old. Yeah. And it's going to be a deal where we probably get two years out of him. We get a good bridge player. You mentioned it. We were talking about it via text earlier. He's a good locker room guy. And he's someone who can help establish a culture, give you some good production in your base, which right now is only about 30% of your plays. Uh, And he's not bad against the pass, even if he is on some passing downs. 
And then by the time the 49ers probably return to some kind of hopefully prominence, he is on the outs. You've got a replacement player, maybe a younger player, maybe a better player. And he has served his purpose. And that's the kind of signing that Earl Mitchell is. Yeah, I think. And the only other takeaway that I really had from from this signing is uh, I, I think it's a pretty strong indication that they uh, are not going to be re-signing Glenn Dorsey, which is one of the names, you know, like th- there weren't too many guys to to really even consider all that much to bring back. I think, you know, Gerald Hodges is a guy uh, that I wouldn't be upset about him coming back. But a lot of people had mentioned Glenn Dorsey kind of in that conversation. Uh, I have not been a big Dorsey fan. I don't think he's very good. I think he's kind of washed up and, and has been a pretty bad player for the last couple of years. But um, it, I would imagine those guys would have filled a sort of similar role. So with Mitchell coming in, I, I think it'd be very unlikely that they bring back Dorsey at this point. Earl Mitchell has been considered someone who's going to help the run game. And he had a run stop percentage. Well, the run defense, he had a run stop percentage in the seven to seven and a half percent range between 2012 to 2014 which is above average at his position. He's had two pretty down years in Miami. Uh, He battled some injuries, kind of kept him out of some games. And that's been the wrap on Earl Mitchell coming out of Miami, who is someone who has some promise, showed some flashes, but had two pretty down years. And and that's the kind of, if you are going to sign free agents, those are usually the free agents which provide a bit of value. I think uh, for 49ers, the last time that we were able to turn around and return to prominence, Carlos Rogers being one of them, someone who had, you know, kind of some down years, came in as a veteran on a pretty cheap one, two year deal, turned out being actually pretty good when you put him in the right system with some good coaches and some decent pieces around him. That's not Earl Mitchell, but it's still, you know, not a terrible free agent signing in that it is going to provide some value for the team, even if that is beyond uh, on the field value and in the locker room. But that's not the only person we've signed. We've also signed wide receiver DeAndre Carter of Sacramento State fame. Uh, For those of you who went to Sac State, he signed a two-year deal. Uh, He's a small dude, shifty, if you will, 5'8", 185. And and for those of you who have heard us talk about P-Spark, he has a P-Spark score. That's a score that kind of helps you judge overall athleticism. He's got a P-Spark score in the 95th percentile, which immediately makes him one of the best athletes on the 49ers roster. That, and that's really a big thing. I mean, I honestly know nothing beyond the things that you just mentioned about DeAndre Carter. Like, I haven't watched him at all. I really don't intend to prior to, you know, preseason time and, and, and all that stuff. But I think that's the one takeaway is that, like, he's a super athletic dude. And, and obviously, they have lacked any type of explosiveness offensively uh, over the last few years. And so I, I think... Uh, from that sense alone, he's a little bit intriguing. It'll be, you know, I imagine he's going to compete for like a slot uh, type role in this offense. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does. I'm not expecting a whole lot from him. You know, it, there's, I, I wouldn't even say any sort of guarantee that he's on the 53 man roster considering, you know, kind of where he's coming from and, 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 uh, and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's, they need, that's one thing that we said, you know, kind of talking about as we were watching the Falcons, once it became, pretty clear that that Shanahan was going to be the guy you know you watch that Falcons team it's just like man they got speed all over the place right defense speed at every position offense they got speed at places that you know they can create explosive plays and really kind of uh impact the defense in that way so yeah it's something that the Niners could use a lot more of well on one of these rando sites that I found on the internet just by googling DeAndre Carter 40 time uh I found out that his 40 time is 4-4 which is pretty fast. And you think of another smallish slot guy who's got really good speed and is really athletic, who came to prominence with Atlanta after he was cut by Cleveland. And that's going to be Taylor Gabriel. 
And so when you think of the kind of mold in the team that Kyle Shanahan might be looking towards for his slot receiver, you look at someone like DeAndre, DeAndre Carter potentially fitting the role of maybe a Taylor Gabriel um, because it's a little different role than someone like a Bruce Ellington might fit in the slot who historically in San Francisco has not has been kind of tabbed as the slot receiver, even though he's never been able to really be healthy for a full year. I think the the last takeaway is even though we have a new regime now, new GM, new coach, apparently we're still intent on cornering the market on wide receivers with a first name that starts with D. <laughs> yeah, DeAndre, DeAndrew. Like, man, um, we, have, like, we have another DeAndre. I think last, last year at some point in the offseason when we still had 90 guys on the roster, we had like four receivers with like either DI or DE at the beginning of their first name. Um, yep. So, you know, continuing the trend. Uh, we like that D, I guess, is really the takeaway <laughs> here. Uh, so that's <laughs> hey, I'm 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 continuing the theme here. I went, you know, bounce, bang, bend. You're gonna last bang week. in the hole, and I'm, you know, <laughs> if you see if you see color in the hole, you know what to do. Uh, so th- the other story here in the rundown is that the NFL announces compensatory picks. The 49ers add a fourth round pick, 143rd overall. We lost Alex Boone and didn't sign anyone else who counted against the formula. And so here we are with a fourth round pick, which uh, is not a bad haul overall. I think we have 10 picks this year uh, overall. Yeah, I think we're uh, and 10, yeah, yeah. 10, 10 or 11. Yeah, we've got two in the we've got two in each of the fourth, fifth and sixth rounds, I think, is what it comes down to. And then we've got a seventh round pick uh, for second, third. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's what it all comes down to. So uh, definitely good to have more picks and it'll be good to see what uh, the new GM will do with those picks. Well, the new GM and Kyle Shanahan will do with those picks since they've got a lot of capital to work with. Next up, franchise tag gets handed out. We didn't hand out the franchise tag, but it's important to note who did because thing people like, I mean, Le'Veon Bell, Chandler Jones, Kawan Short, that's not all that big of a deal. But the two that got tagged and the one that did not, Kirk Cousins, which we'll talk about Kirk Cousins in a minute, Melvin, don't call me T-Rex Ingram, they both got tagged. And then Alshon Jeffrey will not get tagged, and he will indeed hit the market. We're not going to talk about Melvin Ingram because chances are he's not going anywhere. But I've got one question about Alshon Jeffrey. Is that someone the 49ers should go after? I mean, I think, again, it depends on, uh, as usual, it depends on the price, right? Like, uh, I think if if they get to a situation... Where and I think this is incredibly unlikely. I mean, you're talking about a guy that that just barely turned 27, so he's kind of entering the prime of his of his career. He's really looking for. I mean, this is likely going to be the largest contract that he signs. Um, so even though he's kind of had some up and down, you know, dealing with injuries and and all that stuff over the last couple of years, like somebody's going to give him just a shit ton of money. And so from that perspective, I don't think that that's the answer. Um, so he made his rookie. He was a rookie in 2012. And of course, he played out his rookie deal. And then last year he played on. I'm not sure if it was the franchise tag or if it was a transition tag or something like that. Um, and it was a franchise tag. And that netted him 14.59 mil. Um, so he's probably I mean, if you think that maybe because of some funny voodoo math, you think that his cap number and his one year hit might be high. But then maybe that averages it out to closer to 17 18 million dollars a year for a number one wide receiver that is you know can kind of go up presents a big red zone target in the prime of his career uh, with maybe injury history and questionable hands is it someone you go after when you compare that contract against 
what the other kind of elite wide receivers in the NFL are getting, remembering that you also have Torrey Smith. Yeah, I mean, looking at some of the, so just pulling up on over the cap right now, some of the other top receiver contracts, and I don't know if this is uh, up to date with Antonio Brown's new deal yet, but you have Antonio Brown at 17 mil average per year. Uh, you have AJ Green at 15. So, I mean, are Julio Jones at 14 too? So, like, are you really going to give Alshon Jeffrey that kind of money? Like, do you think he's that caliber of player? I don't know that I'm right. I mean, he's very good. Like he does, you know, the, the skills that he has being able to go up, like it's, it's a lot of what we saw, you know, with Anquan Bolden, but you're, you're getting a, a Bolden sort of, again, entering the prime of his career in theory. Um, the, so the, right the now other... Alshon has the third highest contract and that was a one year deal. Right. And again, yeah, you're right. We don't the, know. The tag. Yeah. And um, we don't know if this is, if this does include Antonio's new deal, but that would still put him at third. If you put him, I mean, putting him in the conversation with Julio, AJ, Antonio, the question is, should he, from a talent level, contract aside, is he that good to deserve, you know, that kind of money and that, you know, top five wide receiver money, basically? He's really good. I, I don't think he's that good. I, I don't think I would want to be the team that, that pays. I mean, it's not a situation, you know, there are a lot of times like receivers, you want to avoid giving big money contracts because the ones that hit free agency are like the number two guys in really good passing offenses, right? It's it's uh, the, those second tier players. Decker. Yeah, they hit free agency and because they produce in this offense with a lot of talented players around them, some team gives them a shit ton of money and wants them to be their number one. And that move just doesn't work out. Alshon's a legit number one. Um, I just don't know if he's worth, you know, paying that money, especially in the other thing to, to consider, right, is is this receiver class is really good. Um, you know, I've I've started to kind of dig into to some of the receivers um, so far and, and then also just kind of, you know, reading up on from a lot of the guys that I trust and the evaluations that they do. I, I mean, it, this receiver class seems to be pretty stacked. It's pretty deep. Um, I don't know that there's like a Calvin Johnson, you know, like um, just julio jones can't miss type of guy at the top i mean i I like mike williams and Corey davis a lot but um you you don't have quite that caliber of player but there's a lot of really good receivers coming up in this draft and so i think that that's the route that i would rather take get a get a younger guy get a guy in a rookie deal that you can kind of build and and you know be able to sign him you know keep him in-house i like that route better than going out and signing a big name free agent like that Let's get to the conversation that's burning on everyone's mind. Of course, there's a lot of Kirk Cousins rumors coming out this uh, over the course of the last two days, really. But Kirk Cousins, the report from Ian Rappaport is that Washington will not trade Kirk Cousins. And Washington has now officially franchise tagged Kirk Cousins with an exclusive rights free agent tag, which means that the only team that he can negotiate with is the Washington Redskins and the or the Washington controversies, depending on how you want to use their name. Uh, but the, 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 that doesn't preclude a trade, meaning that the Washington Redskins can still sign him to a deal and then trade him afterwards, or that Washington can negotiate with San Francisco and they can figure out a compensation package and, and kind of go from there. So while this doesn't put a kind of tombstone on this year's Kirk Cousins rumors to the 49ers, it, it, does, it, it definitely closes the door a little bit more. But given that the door is a little open, and that a lot of fans kind of want to hear what this really what the decision is or what you think the decision should be. We've got a couple questions, right? One is, is Kirk Cousins any good? And two, is there a scenario where you'd be okay trading for Kirk Cousins? In other words, is there is there a value where you're like, yeah, you know what? For that, I say, go ahead. 
So first off, is Kirk Cousins any good? Or is he an average quarterback that's being propped up by above average, uh, kind of an above average roster around him? Um, I, I, I mean, I think he's a good player. I, I think, you know, on that scale of is he a franchise quarterback or is he a product of the guys around him? Like, I, I think that he's somewhere in the middle of that. Maybe you push him slightly towards the good side, but I, I don't think he's a top five. And I, I don't think he I mean, maybe you can argue he's a lower end of the top 10 guy. I mean, I think he's really kind of just outside that range, like a 10 to 12 that that sort of range like we talked about before right once you get to a certain point there kind of like at the lower end of the top 10 into the just still above average quarterbacks like a lot of those guys are really the same like they're 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 very similar in terms of yeah they have some pretty obvious flaws but you know if they're in the right situation they have the right people around them they can be very good players i think that's the type of guy that you're getting with Kirk cousins um so, yeah, and, and this is something that we talked about before, right, in terms of I, I still think that Kaepernick is their best option. Now, there's a lot of things that need to happen in order for him to come back. But if that's on the table, if that's a possibility, I think that is the 49ers best option for 2017. That does not mean that I think that Colin Kaepernick is necessarily a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins. I think that pretty objectively is not true. I don't think there's anybody really out there trying to make that argument. What it comes down to is the opportunity cost. And this is where we get into question two, right? Is there a scenario where it would be okay to go ahead and and pursue a trade for Kirk Cousins? And I think that answer is a pretty resounding no, because again, it's not just is Kirk Cousins better than Colin Kaepernick or whatever alternative that they're going to be able to find for 2017. It's is Kirk Cousins better than that player plus the draft picks, the players that you're going to get from the draft picks that you're giving up to Washington, plus the players that you could have signed with the extra money that you're going to have to give Kirk Cousins because you're going to have to pay him like a franchise quarterback. Um, I I think one of the best things, I forget exactly who tweeted it, but um, somehow it ended my timeline that like Kirk Cousins, somebody compared him to an airport beer. It's like you're stuck at the airport you have no other options. Like, do you really want to pay $15 for that airport beer? No, but you, you don't have really any better options. And that's kind of what you're at with Kirk cousins. Like if you want him on your team, and this is why Washington hasn't signed him to a long-term deal, right? Like he's not a good enough player to warrant that franchise money in a vacuum, but that's what you're going to have to pay him if you want him on your team. And so if I'm the 49ers, I don't think the opportunity cost of everything that I would have to give up in order to acquire Kirk Cousins is worth what I could potentially get with all of those other assets. Well, I, I definitely agree with you. And I think 49ers fans don't necessarily need to think about the airplane beer analogy. They can just say the Levi's beer analogy um, and talk about <laughs> yeah, the prices they pay at Levi's. Cause <laughs> I think that hurts enough. But if I'm playing devil's advocate, if I'm being the sophist here, I'm saying Again, I don't necessarily believe this, but if I'm playing the flip side, I would say that quarterback, you can't win without a quarterback. And and you said that at, at a certain level, the quarterbacks are kind of all the same. And if you can't go into an elite quarterback, if you don't feel like you can get, you know, the, the Aaron Rodgers of the world or, or anyone at that caliber, then you go after a quarterback that's at least going to make you hum. And Kirk Cousins in a Shanahan style offense has been able to be that quarterback. He is a quarterback that can produce in this offense. He's a quarterback that if you were to put pieces around him, 
can be a top five quarterback. That doesn't mean that he is going to be necessarily the, the person who makes your team better. And quarterback is the thing that makes all things go. So if you're going to, if you have the opportunity to get a quarterback that can make your team better, that can grow with a coach and a general manager that you can build around, that that gives you a foundational piece that you wouldn't necessarily have to go and get somewhere else. And based on the value of the quarterback position, that it's worth it given the extra picks that you have, the salary cap that you have, because you're talking about things that you would give up, which is draft picks and money. And you have both of those in spades. So I think the the, the thing for me is I don't think if the, if the roster were at a different point, then maybe I think that argument becomes a little bit more compelling, right? If they're a little bit closer, if we're talking about a team that's hasn't been, you know, one of the worst teams in football for the last couple of years, like if, if there's somewhere a little closer to contention and you still have those things, right? You can have a, a team that's, a six to eight, nine win team that has managed the cap well, has a good amount of cap space, you know, is is accumulated draft picks and kind of be in a similar situation. Maybe not quite as good, but but a similar situation. Um, and and I think in that scenario, it makes a lot more sense to go after this quarterback that, yeah, he's we we can be pretty comfortable in the fact that he's going to be a competent player. Like he's going to be able to execute this offense. The learning curve isn't going to be as steep as it is for a rookie, all of those sort of things. Um I don't think the roster is anywhere close to it. And I think adding somebody like cousins right now, while he probably, you know, maybe he is a, a plus two plus three in terms of your win column in 2017. Um, I think that almost hurts this team more long-term than it does help. So I, I think Seattle is a really good recent example, right? Everybody likes to point to them. Hell like Lynch and, and Shanahan have pointed to them as being an organization that they want to sort of model with how they've, they've looked at things. And, you look at when Carol and John Snyder first got started, got, got there in 2010, right? And it's, they cleaned house. They, they had a massive roster turnover and it was really the picks that they accumulated in those first few years. that really kind of set their foundation. It wasn't until after those few years where they started being able to, you know, a little bit more willing to kind of take risks, making the Jimmy Graham trade, you know, things like that. You look at that first draft and it's Russell Okun, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor in 2010, then you add K.J. Wright and Richard Sherman in 2011, Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson in 2012. Like those drafts, because of the picks that they had in those drafts, set the foundation for what they are right now. Those are core players. I mean, Okung ended up, they let, they let him go because they hate offensive linemen, apparently, and that's the only one that doesn't really make sense. But the rest of those players, those are core pieces for what they do, right? For what what they are right now. And I think the 49ers are in a position where they have a lot of picks in this draft. They have a lot of picks in the next draft. Like, they have an opportunity if they they play these drafts well to really build them a foundation for the long term. And that's what should be the goal. The goal shouldn't be we want to win a couple more games in 2017 and make ourselves feel better. If they need to suck again in 2017 to to keep you know the long term vision intact, then I think that's the route that you need to go. There's there's a concept here that I think Bill Belichick. I, first of all, I agree with everything you just said. Right. And, and I don't think this team is a quarterback away. I do think that there is something that Bill Belichick can do that most other head coaches can't. I think Bill Belichick can do this. I think Mike Tomlin can do this. And and that's maybe about it. Marvin Lewis maybe can kind of do this just because of the tenure they've had at their franchises and the stability of the ownership is that they don't need to make decisions about right now. They can make future-based decisions 
where th- and and that allows them to beat the market and take advantage of other teams that are trying to win right this second. So what what does that look like? That looks like first of all, I think that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have a bit of that window right now because they have six year deals and there's no offset clause, which is an offset, fucking nuts. By the way, I know the, uh, the an insane. offset clause for those that are unfamiliar is a clause in a contract which says that if you get fired and you get another job immediately then whatever you make from that other team offsets what we owe you. So in a very simple example, if I am signed for, if I'm Chip Kelly and I'm signed for the next three years and I'm supposed to make $10 million over those three years uh, and I sign a, a coaching deal for $10 million, the 49ers owe me nothing effectively, right? I mean, there's a bit, there's a couple of things in there, but that's a simplistic interpretation. But because there's no offset clause and because they've signed six-year deals, then I see... I see John and Kyle getting four years, realistically. You can eat two years of their salary, I think. But I think they get four years unless it's an abject disaster. Yeah. And at four years, you can legitimately start. You, you can wait on a quarterback. You don't have to make rush decisions. And that allows you to do things like draft, develop, and take advantage of other teams that are willing to give up pieces in order to win now because you know you don't have to win now. What this looks like on the flip side is Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick can trade Jimmy Garoppolo. Bill Belichick can trade Matt Castle because he knows what they are and he knows that he can play for the future because if he has a down year, he's not going to get fired. If he's got one year where they suck, NBD, no big deal. He can ride that one year or two years out, maybe even three years and he can still build and rebuild and get back to prominence because he knows that he's got a couple of things that help him go. So th- that that point then th- makes me think about Jimmy Garoppolo in general, right? There was one that, that Mike Lombardi was recently on the Ringer podcast and he talked about Jimmy Garoppolo and he said that he doesn't believe Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get traded. But if he did get traded, the only other team he would go to that he thinks he would go to is the 49ers because when he was with Cleveland, Kyle Shanahan was his offensive coordinator, and Kyle Shanahan loved Jimmy Garoppolo. So if not, if not one quarterback, Kirk Cousins, would you do a trade for someone like a Jimmy Garoppolo? Or do you still run into the same arguments? I I think you run into the same arguments, and I think you run into the same arguments for a, a far less proven player, right? The the advantage of going Jimmy Garoppolo is maybe you don't have to, I mean you know, Washington, of course, is floating out like they want an RG three like offer, which um, was three first rounders and a second round pick. Um, so if you come down from that a little bit, like you can almost certainly get Garoppolo for for less compensation than that. But you're getting a player that has what, like 64 attempts in the NFL. Like you don't know what he is like. He's still basically the guy, the college prospect, which, again, is a, is a I mean, he was a good college prospect. He was a second round pick like. A lot of guys liked him at the time, um, you, you know, so he's he's got a better pedigree than guys like Castle and Hoyer and, um, you know, Ryan Mallett and, and, and those guys that have come from New England. And, and I don't think that those examples, by the way, like mean anything for J- Jimmy Garoppolo. Like Jimmy Garoppolo is a different player just because other players have left that situation and failed doesn't mean that he will. And, and I don't know that he's a bad player, but I also don't know that he's a good player. And I think that in order to give up the sort of compensation that you would still need to give up for him, 
you need to know that he's a good play, that you're getting a good quarterback. And and again, you're missing out one of the most valuable pieces. And this is uh, kind of circling back to the, the the being able to wait on a quarterback. And again, looking at the Seattle example, right? Like one of the best assets that you can have is a quarterback that's above average and on his rookie contract. I mean, that's what Dallas is going into now with Dak Prescott. That's what Seattle lived up until very recently with Russell Wilson. I mean, you look, they waited until year three to get their quarterback in the draft, right? Like it doesn't have, if you have that long-term plan, it doesn't have to happen right away. Um, You can find, I mean, next year's class is supposed to be a much better group of quarterbacks coming out. You're probably going to be bad this year. Again, you're probably going to be picking high next year in the draft as well. Like you can kind of, you know, possibly push that decision out. And that's why I I think that Kaepernick's the best choice here because it's a short term option, right? He's kind of what I think is the best of the the group that's going to be available as your like, quote unquote, bridge quarterback. So I I think that's the route. I don't see the rush in getting a a quarterback this offseason. You're not going to solve every problem in one offseason. This team has a long way to go before their roster is at a point where they're competing again. Like they can, there's a lot of things they can address. Like this draft is very good. It's a good defensive draft. Like we mentioned, there's a lot of good receivers. Like they're going to be able to, if they play things right, address certain deficiencies, but you're not going to get them all. And quarterbacks, one that I think unfortunately needs to wait till another offseason. I think the, the kill shot with Kirk cousins is that he's going to be, a, he's going to be a free agent in a year. I mean, at this point, yeah, for the, yeah, exactly for for the Redskins to sign him for an, a third year at the franchise tag, they'd tag him at somewhere near thirty five million dollars for one year. Um, that that you know that's that's a little ridiculous. So why not just wait a year, try to figure out some of the other pieces, draft some good players, and then get him at that point. So that takes us then to Kyle Shanahan's passing game, and and it's a, a passing game that is really really fun to watch for a lot of really, really interesting reasons. And really, if there's two things that we can get you to take away from Kyle Shanahan's passing game, and really what makes it so great, is that it is really a passing game that is predicated upon punch and counterpunch. He's got a move to layer on top of a move that is very, very difficult to stop. And the second thing is that it is difficult to diagnose his plays or detect his plays based on alignment, formation or stem because of the different formations he has because a lot of the play concepts that he calls look the same in the way that he calls them it it makes the plays very difficult to diagnose for defenses Uh, fritz Shermer has a book actually david that you recommended i read which was awesome which is coaching team defense and in that book he says if you're that fritz Shermer says if your defense is thinking then they're not playing fast and they're not playing well you don't want your defense to think. You don't want overcomplicated play calls. You don't want them to have too many checks. You don't want them to have too many things because if they're thinking, they're playing slow, and they're not playing well. And that's what Shanahan's offense effectively lets you do. Uh, it, it, or rather, what it does to defenses. It forces them to think, and it forces them to play slow. And in that respect, it is generally very, very effective. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a lot of fun to watch. I mean, it, you know, we we really enjoyed breaking down Chip Kelly's offense. And, um, you know, I, I mostly because it was an offense. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was different. And and again, <laughs> this isn't to to knock on Chip at all. I, I think that, you know, a, a lot of the problems offensively as it relates to Chip were pretty overblown. But I, I mean, Shanahan's offense is a lot of fun to watch for different reasons. Right. Like 
it's like you mentioned there are just it, there's a very clear plan in place there where you have things that kind of build on previous play calls concepts that are similar everything kind of is is tied together in this cohesive package so um yeah it's it's been a lot of fun to break down it's going to be a lot of fun to see how he's able to adapt that to what the Fortnite have and and kind of the pieces that he looks because they're they're going to be some different i think archetypes for positions than what we saw with chip right there's going to be different types of players that are going to be looking to fit in here so watching all of that come together is going to be a lot of fun welcome uh jacob tammy and patrick demarco yeah. uh, you are the next contestants on we need a tight end and a fullback <laughs> uh so let, let's first take the before we get into the specific concepts and we've got a lot of concepts that we're going to get through over the course of the episode let's talk first about something that we don't like about the kyle shanahan offense and that is the language. It's the terminology that he uses to call his plays. So by, by and large, play calls in the NFL fall under three different general umbrellas. You've got the West Coast offense, which we're gonna, which is what Kyle Shanahan uses. It's what 49ers fans generally know and love. You've got the Air Coriel offense, which is what Norv Turner and, and his kind of disciples use. And it uses the number system for calling routes. And then you've got the Earnhardt Perkins, which is what Belichick uses and what I would imagine Bill O'Brien uses, which uses uh, concepts, one word concepts to identify a passing concept overall, which your team can then run. So Kyle Shanahan's actually been on record talking about the different choices you have to make when making uh, when picking the terminology that you're going to use. And Kyle Shanahan says, and I quote, you can take two choices. You can make a play call, just one word and have 11 guys memorize it or you can make it extremely wordy, and the whole play call tells a lot of guys what to do, so you don't have to memorize as much stuff. People have been successful doing both. He continues a little bit in this Washington Post article, and he says, quote, I usually try to make it a little bit more wordy, so I don't think guys can memorize 150 different things. I like them to memorize 15 things, and then the verbiage allows you to do it 2,000 different ways. That puts more pressure on the quarterback to spit it out, to have to repeat it. But also when you get comfortable with it and you can do it, you see that you can have a lot more options and guys don't mess up as much, end quote. So this is, this is a sample uh, call that Cal Shanahan has in his playbook. Uh, it's actually going to be the first concept that we cover, which is going to be a play action boot pass. Uh, and it's Tiger personnel. So you have to know Tiger, right? Ace, far west, right. Zoom, fake 18 ho. We're going to just say ho. <laughs> Quarterback keep pass left. Tiger personnel, ace far west right zoom, fake 18 ho, quarterback keep pass left. That's more than likely handoff instead of ho, but it's the better rivals it's podcast. It's a lot so more fun to say ho. You get ho because, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, that's, that's probably the call to action right there, hashtag ho. There you go. Which yeah. I, I worry about people who click on that hashtag when they see the tweets that say hashtag hope. Dangerous. But, you know, Don't do is. it. Just tweet it out, but then forget it exists. So, so David, why, why is it that you dislike this method of play call verbiage, despite the fact that it's been so effective for Kyle Shanahan over the years? So it, it's weird because I, I, I like the point that he's making, right? Like where he says the, 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 the line about, I want him to memorize 15 things and then that allows me to do effectively 2000 different things because they know those 15. I think that, that works better going the concept route. So 
And this is, I think, part of the reason why, you know, you always used to hear quarterbacks coming in. Oh, they're coming in West Coast offense. It takes them two or three years to be able to learn the system, right? That used to be a big thing, like 90s, early 2000s, all that stuff, when when more teams were really running something that resembled a truer West Coast offense like it, it was back when the Niners were, you know, good and doing things. Um, and, and so... I, I think that the the play calling and that sort of communication has just really become unnecessary. Um, it, it slows things down, right? You can't, it, it limits your ability to do tempo or you, now you're going to have to come up with that one word play call to communicate all of that if you do want to go up tempo at some point because you can't communicate all of that stuff quickly. So I think that it's it's more efficient to go that concept route and have that one word, right? I know that, when when somebody says, you know, Falcon or whatever it is, that means this thing. And, it, and I think from a, a teaching standpoint as well, it helps guys to understand the complete picture, right? To understand what the offense is doing, know what everybody else is doing as well. You have to kind of understand that full concept rather than, OK, in this play call, I know that it said, why stick? So I'm the tight end. I need, I know I need to run a stick route. I don't give a shit what everybody else is doing. Because that 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 is effectively it's my assignment is called out within the play call. So I I don't know. I, I think the the general theme that he's trying to get at, I completely agree with. Right. Memorize fewer things. Allow me to do more things later. But I think the 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 like the Earhart Perkins route of doing that is is better and more efficient. I think you're seeing so many more offenses at every level. Guys are coming from high school and college of, of having these sort of simple play calls that are easy to communicate, that are easy to get out to everybody. And, and so I think the, the point in which you can communicate that stuff to high schoolers and it works effectively there, then you're not going to tell me that a bunch of guys in the NFL that this is their full-time job and all they're doing can't memorize those things and understand those concepts as well. And that, that's a play calling terminology or a really methodology that the Erhard Perkins is really built upon. So you think of one of the famous um, Patriots concepts, it's Ghost Tosser. It's a concept on either side of the field. Ghost is a passing concept. Tosser is a passing concept. And you can run those concepts out of really any personnel grouping or any formation as long as your players know what those are. Uh, and, and you layer on a couple of protections and some line calls, I'm sure, uh, because Tom Brady really does not like to get hit. Uh, you know, giraffes don't like contact, I guess. But th- that allows the, the successful teams and, and successful quarterbacks can still succeed on offense and have incredibly potent offenses and still rely on this kind of one word play call. So I don't necessarily buy the idea that you that complexity is necessarily better or that complexity allows you to do more, because if that were the case, then any offense that had that relied on these one word play calls would not succeed. And we don't we don't see that being the case with uh, with with the Patriots and and Tom Brady. So it's just it's an interesting aside. It's something that is indeed interesting. And there have been examples in the NFL where offensive coordinators have had to dial it back. You think of the Lions and when Jim Bob Cooter took over, which, by the way, I'll take any opportunity to say Jim Bob (laughs) Cooter anytime I possibly can. Uh, When Jim Bob Cooter took over offensive play calling in Detroit, first thing he did was simplify, simplify play calls and pare down the playbook. Simple idea, right? We talked about it earlier with Fritz Shermer. The faster you can play, the more you can rely on your athleticism. The, the better you will just the better you have the opportunity to be based on your physical skills. And we're talking about the top 1% of athletes when it comes to the NFL, right? So you want that athleticism to shine. So it's an interesting, I think, digression 
something I, that I don't necessarily think is going to be a huge problem because I think that Kyle's a good enough coach to make that work, but definitely something to consider when you're thinking about the length of time it will take for this, for, for an offense to really take shape and take off. I mean, hell, Matt Ryan, it took him a whole year to get familiar and comfortable with the, the Kyle Shanahan offense. And so, uh, you know, just something to consider when you're thinking about the way the offense develops in San Francisco under Shanahan. Yeah, I think it really is going to come into play, you know, most where this, this becomes somewhat of a concern or where you have to maybe adjust expectations for something is if they do end up taking a quarterback, you know, a young quarterback high in the draft at some point in the next year or two here. Like it's it's funny because a lot of people take, you know, you see some of these quarterbacks like go on uh, Gruden's QB camp and, you know, they're trying to explain things and he's shouting out all this West Coast, you know, lingo and and everything and and you see quarterbacks kind of like i we called that like this one word and this two word right like what's the did did you use the stick call did you did you call out the the basically the west coast version of stick oh no it was great yeah so like one of the other long so there's a a a 2004 denver broncos playbook from when mike shanahan was was there still um and we would assume that a lot of the the same core stuff is going to be be kind of used here. But um, yeah, so we were looking through that kind of pre-show and, and looking for some absurd play calls. And so you heard one of them earlier. Uh, the other one it was uh, a double wing right, B right, 322 scat, Y stick thunder. Um, and so... Yeah, Johnny I mean, Manziel would call that stick. Basically, <laughs> yeah, that's like the stick concept. It's a three the three-man stick concept on, the, on one side, two-man stick concept on the other side. And like... That's it. Like, why do you have to make that 15 words? You know, like not that long, but um, yeah, it's it's just like I I think the idea, like you mentioned, that that complexity is better and and somehow superior because you have to memorize this all this extra shit, uh, I I think is just completely like archaic thinking. Like the, the game is going a different direction. Simpler play calls allow you to communicate better, allow you to communicate quicker um, and, and I think is is more beneficial going that route. And, and again, getting back to the, the rookie quarterback, right, allows them to, to kind of be able to adapt quicker and, and, and let them just get out there and play. The reason you see like some of these talented quarterbacks struggle early when they go into offense like that is because like you said they spend too much time thinking. Right. Whereas if you can eliminate the, the, the communication aspect from from your thinking and just kind of be able to go out there and play, that's when you see guys excel early on. I think I have a rule for this year's drinking game, which you've got to remember to remind me uh, so that only uh, one of us is allowed to forget at this point. Uh, but anytime a outside zone or a stretch run goes for 20, we'll call it 15 or more yards, we all yell ho and take a drink. Because <laughs> that's, that's, that's the nomenclature for uh, the stretch outside zone in Shanahan's playbook is handoff or ho. Um, and so, yeah, so we're going to yell ho whenever a run breaks for 15 plus yards. I don't uh, even know and, why and you got to include zone. that. Like if it really stands like we haven't found that out for sure. We're just kind of guessing that it stands for handoff. Um, you can just go with like 18, 19. Like that gives you the direction like that gives yep. you the information you need. Like, well, I don't know why you got to say handoff because what, it's fun to say ho. Uh, so play action. Let, let's talk about. So last week we talked about the, the foundation of Kyle Shanahan's run game. We talked about the, the zone and the outside zone specifically and how that really was the base of a lot of things he did. We talked about some variations. We talked about the toss read and, you know, the toss shovel read. We talked about some other things, but really it was the outside zone 
that was the foundation and the core of what Kyle Shanahan does. And the first thing that we're going to talk about is really the thing that he will build off of that outside zone, and that's going to be the play-action pass. Atlanta has the highest, it was the highest play-action percentage, right, yep. over the course of, of last year. Um, and, and they were pretty high up there. They were a distant first, I believe. And, and so play-action is definitely going to be a core foundation of Kyle Shanahan's passing concepts. So when you see whatever quarterback is under center, whether it be Colin Kaepernick or Kirk Cousins or Deshaun Watson or uh, Brian Hoyer or Matt Schaub, uh, what, when they roll out, what is, what is Kyle Shanahan's call and what is that boot concept? So we're going to stay away from the the lengthy play calls and we're going to simplify it into some one word concepts for you because we think that, again, is, is a little bit better. So I think the, the place you have to start is just the, the kind of standard boot concept. And this is something uh, that effectively every single team runs some version of. Everybody does it. And, and again, you, there's a couple ways you can you can kind of modify the routes a little bit. But the, the, the basic things that you're looking for are this is going to be a three level vertical stretch so if you've been a long time listener you did this with us last year when we were going through everything with chip kelly's offense you remember how we talked about and split up kind of passing concepts into these different buckets you have vertical stretches horizontal stretches triangle stretches and these are kind of the ways that that offenses look to attack coverages for the defense um, and so this is something where you have three levels you're looking at so you have somebody deep somebody intermediate somebody short um, and the way that this is going to work is your deep route is usually going to be on what we'll call the play side, the, the direction that the quarterback is rolling. So a lot of times this can be just like a clear out route. He's just running straight up the sideline, trying to remove a defender from the picture to open things up underneath. Some uh, teams will have that guy run a comeback as well. So still a deep, like a 15 to 20 yard route um, and, and kind of have him break back towards the sideline. So that's the first route that you're looking for. And the intermediate area is usually going to be like a tight end from the backside or maybe a slot receiver from the backside. He's coming on just a big crossing route. So usually uh, a lot of teams call this like an over route. Um, but he's basically he's climbing to like 10, 12 yards or so coming across the field, trying to separate from his defender and really get into that intermediate area. And he ends up being kind of the primary option there. And then your short guy is just somebody in the flat. So a lot of times, again, this will be like either a back out of the backfield uh, this could be a tight end on the play side if you're in kind of more run personnel and you got a couple tight ends on the field. A lot of times you'll see them too, just to, to get everything timing up right, you'll see that tight end block first. So he'll kind of go in with the, the outside zone scheme, fake like he's blocking, do a little delayed release out into the flat. So that's your, your deep, intermediate, short, three-level stretch there that you're going for. And again, you can kind of mix and match those. Um, with the intermediate too, you'll see some teams move that guy from the backside of the play side and run like a deep out or a deep uh, like corner route or something like that. But it's still deep, intermediate, short. And that's how your quarterback's going to read it as well. Deep, intermediate to short, high to low. And, and that's basically the standard, again, boot concept that, that basically every team is going to run some version of. So this, first of all, I think it's important to note that, that Colin Kaepernick, when you think about his fit in this offense, if he were to stay, this is a play that he could run with a high degree of effectiveness. He ran it well under Jim Harbaugh. He throws well on the move, uh, and he actually throws well to his left on the move, which is weird for a right-handed quarterback. But this is a play that Colin Kaepernick can run very, very well. And, and so when you're thinking about fits, this is something that he could do. 
really this attacks coverages a couple of key ways. If you're thinking about how to tax man coverages, you've got that comeback on the outside or the intermediate route. They're going to be your advantage routes against, against man coverage. If the defense happens to be in zone, well, all of a sudden you've flooded zones with more receivers than they could cover. So the idea here is that not only is it good against man, it's also good against zone. But then if you do get the advantage of getting the linebackers to come up to the line of scrimmage because of that play action, you've got a huge wide open space in the intermediate area, irrespective of the coverage type. So this is a versatile play and a play that is built off of the foundation of an offense. Again, this is if we're talking about punch and then counter punch, the punch is going to be the outside zone and the counter punch is going to be the boot action play that layers on top of that. Yeah, it's one of those things that just it's so effective. Everybody does it. And even though you know it's coming, like, honestly, this is like the the main passing plays that I ran in high school um, was a, a very similar like rollout play action pass. We had it built off more of power action as opposed to zone. But uh, it, it's like this is down to high school level, like anybody that runs under center, even teams, you can even kind of modify this for the shotgun. Like we saw Chip. Uh, run a, a same type of, of boot action there. So again, this is something that basically you're going to see in every NFL game that you watch, but it's it's incredibly effective, especially I think with the outside zone pairing because the, the big thing, like you mentioned, is selling that run action and getting the linebackers to come up towards the line of scrimmage. And uh, because that outside zone action looks so similar and it's just really hard for the linebackers to be able to key that difference between what's the outside zone and what's the play action pass. Um, it, it really is effective at getting those guys to come up and opening that void in the, the, the middle of the field. But then you've got another. So if the outside zone is the punch and then you've got a counter punch, which is a play action off the outside zone, you even have another counter punch on top of that, which is going to be a tight end throwback based off of the same boot action. So this is going to look and feel a lot like the same rollout. You're going to see play action. You're going to see the quarterback rollout. You're going to have very similar routes in that you've got, you know, a kind of a deep over route. And then you've got the, you know, a slot receiver or maybe a tight end running the intermediate route. But in this case, it's going to look more like a throwback, a throwback because you've got another tight end or another wide receiver, typically a tight end for a Shanahan coming across both of those routes and getting wide open on the backside of the formation. So really, this is a shot play. This isn't really a, a progression type play where you're going you know, down one, two, and three. You're really looking for a lot of money here. And usually you're going to call this you know, somewhere. This is where uh, Harbaugh would call a shot plays as well. You're going to call it somewhere in a, you know, kind of the positive 30, maybe positive 35 area where you know you want to get a big chunk of yards to get close to the goal line. So the routes are roughly the same. It's going to be the same as a boot concept with really the main difference is that the play side tight end who normally blocks and then releases into the flat. So that flat defender leaks out into the vacated backside area on a wheel route. And the progression for the quarterback is touchdown to check down. So basically it's all the way to that wheel route coming all the way back down to check down, which in this case is going to be a shallower version of that, of that over route. So you've got, Three plays, which layer on top of each other, which you can run from different formations and different personnel packages with different players and different strengths running them. So you've got the ability to run a run play and then boot action on top of that. And then another play on top of that that looks just like the boot action, but is a completely different play altogether. 
And with just three plays called in series, you begin to see the danger of Kyle Shanahan's offense developing uh, for a defense. And the next concept that we're going to get to is very similar. You're going to see a consistent theme here with a lot of these play action passes. And it's, um, you know, one, it's going to be built off one of our foundation run plays, right? So in this one, the next one we're going to get to is is what's called to, uh, the Yankee concept is how you'll most often see that. And this one, he'll run it off of uh, a lot of the zone type action, likes this one off a of split zone. And, and really likes it from kind of run heavy formations and personnel. This is really a two man route. Um, and so you're going to see it again built off. And, and that's really the key. That's why his play action game is really, you know, probably the best in football is because it's it's built off of that run action. You know, you don't have to actually be able to run the ball all that well to have good play action, but you need to be able to sell the run well and do it in the right situations. And so. This is, uh, again, another concept. You're usually going to get max protect so that they can take that shot downfield. But the two routes that you're looking at are going to be from one side, you're going to get a receiver running a deep post. And the other side, you're getting a guy running that same over route that we were talking about with the boot concept, right? So uh, crossing route, getting into that like 10 to 15 yard area. Um, Sometimes on this one, because it's play action, they'll run that a little bit deeper, give it a little bit more time to develop. Um, but it, it, it's these two big crossing routes and this is doing looking to do two things. So from a progression standpoint, the quarterback, after he does his play action fake, he's looking deep to short. So he's going to check that post route out, see if, if, if a safety kind of busted a coverage, see if he came up to defend that intermediate route and got distracted and see if he can throw it over the top. If not, what's happening is you're again, getting that, that intermediate area vacated. So the run action is hopefully bringing those linebackers up, bringing your second level defenders up toward the line of scrimmage and then your deep post is is lifting the deep coverage right so you're taking a corner with you you're taking a a safety with you and really opening up a large void in the intermediate area of the field and so this is something you know julio jones caught what felt like a million passes on this concept uh, over the course of the 2016 uh it's it's super effective it's one that he goes to as a shot play like i i actually went back I can't believe that I did this, but I went back and tried to watch some uh, some Cleveland tape from 2014 just to see if there are anything, uh, you know, things that I noticed that were different from how he approached having that sort of skill set to what he had in Atlanta. And this is something that's been kind of a core piece, uh, you know, it, for for as long as I've watched him, you know, as long as I've seen games of him on tape. So, um, again, really what you're keen on is that middle of the field safety. That's where the quarterback's eyes are going to be focused. His action is really going to determine whether he's throwing the deep post over the top because the safety got, uh, you know, a little excited and tried to jump the over route, or if he kept his responsibilities, stayed deeper and opened up the intermediate for the over route. So you've got a couple of plays that build off of each other. You've got a shot play in Yankee that still keys off of play action. And then you've got another play, which is dagger, which is again, attacking the intermediate area of the field. Dagger is really going to be defined by a clear out route from a slot player. Usually this is from a two wide receiver set on the same side uh, doubles, if you will. So you've got a slot receiver that's clearing out and then you've got a dig from the outside wide receiver uh, that kind of comes over into that 15 yard intermediate intermediate area. And you've got to check down into the flat from the back. And so the progression here is again, going to be deep to short. You're going to get that progression a lot with a lot of these concepts, which, again, you think about an offense being aggressive. And when the progression is generally going to be get as much as you can and then come back down, 
That's generally an aggressive offense. And that's what Kyle Shanahan's offense is. He wants to, you know, kind of go for these intermediate or, or deep shots right away. And then he's got options and, and kickouts or, or uh, options here in the flat. So the, the dagger is, again, another concept that we see often. The Niners ran it a little bit last year. Not a whole hell of a lot. But they did run it. And it's going to really build off the play-action concept. It's going to design. It's going to attack the intermediate area of the field over the middle of the field. And when you can suck linebackers up to the line of scrimmage, it just makes the window for the quarterback easier to get into that intermediate area of the field because you know you don't have linebackers dropping into that area and occupying the zones where you're going to want to get to wide receivers. So the, the clear-out route from the slot receiver is really going to lift the top of the defense up and clear the top, and then you've got the linebackers who are sucking up to the line of scrimmage and it leaves a nice fat pocket in the middle of the field. And Julio Jones basically ate up a ton of people with this route. I mean, it was a little ridiculous how often he was able to do it. Um, and, and it really is predicated on the clear out route, lifting the top off the defense and the linebackers getting sucked up, sucked up for the run, which then leaves a nice open area for the wide receiver. And I think that's the other key takeaway. The, the thing that you mentioned there is with all of these concepts and, and really, I think, good play action in general the thing that it does is create easy throws for your quarterback, right? It, it gives them very large windows to throw into if, if things go well and if you get the, the defenders to bite on that run action. So uh, he's been very good at doing this, very good at building these concepts to look similar to what they're doing in the run game because, um, again, that's the most important thing. You need to be able to sell the run. You don't need to be able to run the ball all that effectively, but you need to be able to make it look like runs. So when the linebackers, the safeties are looking at their run pass keys that they think at least for a split second, that this is going to be a run play. And that's going to give you enough time to open those large windows, give your quarterback easy throws to make. So our next concept then after the, the, that's generally a package of plays, right? So these package of plays is all going to be play action plays, or they are all going to be play action plays. They're all built off of the foundation of the outside zone. But those aren't the only things that Kyle Shanahan is going to run. He's also going to run some straight-up drop-back passes. And this is where you get into the, the core of the West Coast offense that really was made popular here in San Francisco. And the first concept that David's going to take you through is going to be the drive concept, which is one that Bill Walsh made famous and one that Kyle Shanahan runs pretty much with reckless abandon all over the field whenever possible. So, yeah, and we're actually going to package two of these together because so you have the, the drive concept and then one that I call usually the shallow is how I refer to that. Um, and it's it's really the reason we're going to include them to kind of together is that they use the same two routes. They just package them a little bit differently. So as the primary routes there, what you're looking for is going to be kind of this shallow crossing route, like a drag route and then a dig route behind it. The difference between the two concepts is going to be that with drive, you get those two routes run from the same side of the field. So you have two receivers. A lot of times you're going to get condensed splits, like tight splits from your receivers, get them close to the formation uh, on this type of concept. And there, again, you have one receiver going across the field short and then one behind them on the dig route. So that's kind of how you read it, is, is you're going to be looking, the primary route's going to be that drag route. It's going to take a little bit of time. So this is usually like, uh, five step drop is what you'll see from under center, you know, sometimes even three to five step drop from shotgun, depending on how they kind of want to time that up and what the exact splits are from the receiver. 
but he's looking for that drag route first, which is going to be really effective against man coverage, right? It's, it's really hard for cornerbacks to be able to track receivers running full speed across the field like that. So he's looking there first. And if the defense does manage to cover that, then that means, especially in zone, if they've, if they got a linebacker that's jumped up on that route and kind of vacated his, his area that opens things up for the dig route behind it. So that's kind of your basic progression. And you're going to, they're, they're going to tag on different routes to it as well. They, there's a few different things that they'll do, but this is the primary thing that you're going to be looking for. If you're watching Niners games and trying to find these things. So the difference with the shallow concept is that you get those two routes going opposite directions. So now, rather than being on the same side of the field with your drag and your dig route, one side, one, one route's coming from the left, one route's coming from the right. And so they kind of end up crossing a little bit, but it gives the quarterback the same picture, right? He's still reading drag to dig it there. They're, they're going to end up in very similar spots on the field by the time that he's ready to throw those routes. And so you end up again, getting a consistent picture for your quarterback but it gives the defense another look to run the same thing. And that's kind of what you'll find is, is a similar thread through a lot of these drop back passes, especially is it's really about running some core concepts because as we've talked about, like in, in previous, we've been doing this for a couple of years now with, with a lot of the scheme breakdown stuff. And you'll notice that a lot of the same concepts pop up every single time with different coaches. And it's because like the NFL passing game is pretty homogenous. Like co- coaches run a lot of the same concepts, the differences come in how you package those things together. What formations are you using? What personnel's on the field? What shifts and motions that you're using to get guys to those positions? So that's really where Shanahan excels is the packaging of these plays to give defenses multiple looks to prepare for, but to keep things simple and, and, and very similar for his players. And so here's the thing with the the drive, which I find super interesting because I remember I was looking at a play. David and I were watching film together on a Sunday a couple weeks ago, and I saw what I thought was the drag concept. Or I'm sorry, the drive concept where a, a receiver kind of comes across over the, sh- the shallow part of the field. And I mean, if you've played Madden, you, I think it's called drive in Madden. Yeah, Madden's play getting pretty where- good at, at kind of uh, getting the concept names pretty... Yeah, right they're, they're fairly accurate when it comes to some concepts. That doesn't mean that if you do well at Madden that you, you know, are good at football. But, <laughs> you know, you, you learn what you can, where you can. Um, and, and the drive concept is detailed pretty well in Madden. But I remember seeing what I thought was a similar concept. And I was like, but why? And then I was like, but the, the, the halfback looks like it's running a, a Texas route, you know, or really like kind of an in-breaking route. And it looks a lot like the, it looks like a lot like the same thing, or maybe like a three level split or something like that. And David goes, "No, no, that's just follow." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah of course you know what it is, you asshole." But <laughs> that's usually what happens when I watch film with David. But it, it basically is again a concept that looks a lot like the drive concept, where you think to yourself, "Oh, I know what this is. I'm seeing the wide receiver run across the formation. I'm just going to follow him because I know he's going to streak across." And then right behind him comes this halfback that maybe is Tevin Coleman. Or maybe is, you know, whatever second running back we decide to sign. And you're like, ah, crap. Now in this zone I vacated, or if I'm in man coverage, now all of a sudden I got the second person that I didn't think was going to be there, that all of a sudden is there. And it's, again, a layer on top of a layer. For every play that Kyle Shanahan calls, he calls another play that looks just like it, but adds another little layer that a defense has to be ready to defend and has to be prepared for. So this, this follow concept is going to look a lot like the drive concept initially on film, but it's usually run out of a bunch formation. 
and it comes out of a stack and it looks to create advantages versus man coverage, uh, as well as teams that pattern match. If you listen to us during the Harbaugh years, you knew that we talked about we talked a lot about pattern matching and what that looks like. Um, and it's you know for those that are uninitiated, it's basically a a defense that doesn't declare whether it is zone or man until after the offense kind of declares its routes. It's effectively an option defense uh, that helps account for uh, some of the the key things that an offense is going to do. So at, at that point, then when you're stacking people and bunching them, you're looking for advantages versus man, and you're looking for advantages where you can confuse the reads for a defense. And so you'll see an, an underneath kind of drag route, but then you'll also see a follow route right behind it, which is why the concept is called follow. Um, and so that that follow route is usually going to be your first read. It can be a tight end. It can be a uh, it can be a halfback, which it was often for Atlanta with Tevin Coleman. And your progression is usually to go again deep to short. So you're going to see if you've got an advantageous matchup, if you've got your deep out or uh, your outbreaking route. So this can often be a corner. Uh, or a deep out, and you kind of peek there first, and then if you don't see that, you're going to come back down to the shallow drag, and then your third read is going to be that follow route. That's the one that you expect to be open, Uh, but if you see any of the others open first, that's where you're going to go. Now, it attacks coverages because the release of that bunch formation creates natural rubs for defenders and man coverage. So these are often the rub routes that you see that, you know, uh, I guess it's um, uh, Chris Collinsworth who always says that it's not pass interference. Uh, and then you've got basically not a any pick. defender. Not a pick. Uh, it's, it's, not, yeah, it's not a pick. Uh, and then you've got basically any defender ever in the history of defense who says, no, that's, a, that's, that's illegal. You can't do that. Um, so that's, that's, that's basically the gist of how it attacks coverages. But you can exploit certain coverage calls and defenses uh, based on how it is that you align. So, when you're creating confusion at the line of scrimmage, you're making it difficult for the defense to read and react. And again, that, of course, if you're forcing defenses to read and react, then you're making them play slow, and the offense ideally has the advantage. Now, with this follow route, ideally what you're doing is you're putting an athlete in space. We talked earlier about DeAndre Carter. You want athletes in space. right? Bruce Ellington, if he can stay healthy, I think can still be uh, a good wide receiver. He's someone who also rated fairly highly on the P-Spark scale. Uh, he was pretty good, all things considered. Um, and he was pretty good in limited play. Another athlete that we have at our disposal. So this is, again, a layer on top of a layer. You've got a, a, a concept you run often, which is drive. And then a concept which you run on top of that, which is the follow, which looks a lot like a concept that then is is a little bit different. And it's just something else that the defense are prepared for. Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about the the, the, the bunch package that he has in general, right? There, there are a lot of little tweaks that you can make to these concepts right so you keep a very similar structure but i mean you can run you've listened to us again before you've heard us talk about snag and smash or or other concepts these are common west coast concepts uh that shanahan also runs they're not going to be ones that we really get to today but these are all things that he can do out of this bunch look and and um the thing that it really does is again the route stems are very similar so the beginning of the play looks similar for the defense. Again, you have the drag route coming across. You have with the follow route, he's still starting hard like he's going to the flat, which is commonly what you're going to see in a lot of the other concepts is is that short player is kind of the one that's going, uh, you know, short into the flat. And then you have, um, 
you know, and inter- your intermediate route is kind of got that same vertical stem. So whether he's breaking across the middle on dig, uh, like he is in the drive concept, or he maybe he's breaking to the corner like he is on, on several of the other ones, the initial part of the route looks the same. And that's what we mean by how it can confuse certain coverage calls, um, pattern match stuff. A lot of times the way that defenses will approach these bunch concepts is kind of do a uh, take. I'm going to take first in first out sort of thing. So the first receiver that comes the inside, whatever defender is aligned for the inside is going to take that guy. The defender, the outside is going to take the first guy that breaks outside. What follow does is the guy that starts outside and you're going to get him to key up on that outside defender, usually like your corner. Well, now he's out of position when all of a sudden that route breaks back across the middle. So there's things like that that it does to to really help you against some of the things, some of the techniques that defenses will use to combat those bunch or those stacked looks on the defense. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very again, we don't have time to get necessarily to all the things that he does, but the the stuff that he does out of bunch um, is really a lot of fun and it really makes things difficult for, for teams that play heavy man coverage. So David really quickly hit me with the last concept, which is going to be four verticals. And for those that don't have much imagination, this is four vertical routes, four straight lines. I know it's great. I mean, these football coaches, man, they're look, really, really trying to confuse people. It's just really hard we've for been us hitting on the outside you, to learn this stuff. We've been hitting you with a lot of concepts. I know this episode, it's a concept heavy episode, lots of things which require pictures. Uh, and we'll post a couple of articles, I think on our Twitter feeds that will help with pictures for a lot of the concepts that will help you follow along. But this is one of the, it's a concept that's not unique to Kyle Shanahan by any stretch. It's one that we ran often with Chip Kelly, uh, but it's a concept that can be very, very effective uh, against NFL defenses. So David, Last concept for the show, real quick, hit me with the four verticals. What's that all about? So this is actually, and it's really funny, when you listen to uh, defensive coaches talk about what they need to do from a coverage standpoint, a lot of it starts with how the hell do we defend four verticals? Because it's really, really tough to do. Um, and, and again, it's simple. So like you mentioned, it is, it is four guys running straight down the field Um, it's, it's a land, what we call a landmark concept. Um, and that means that effectively these four players all have a specific aiming point on the field. So usually with your outside guys, it's going to be, uh, like a little bit outside the numbers and then your inside guys are looking to aim to each seam. So kind of that area between the numbers and the hash marks. Um, and the beauty of that is that you can line up in any formation, and you know that based on where you're at within that, this is my landmark. So if I'm in a balanced formation, I got two receivers to each side of the center. Well, then I'm basically running straight up the field. But if all of a sudden I go three by one, right? I put uh, I get a trips on one side. Well, now that inside most guy, I still got to hit my my landmark that's on the other side. So I'm going to run more of a crossing round. So I'm still going to get to that same area on the field. So I got that even distribution of receivers uh, across there. And so... Again, this is something that is is very simple from an offensive standpoint, but is really a pain in the ass for defensive coaches. Um, you know, and if, if you're a, a, a single high team like the 49ers are about to become, you really have to figure out how the hell you're going to cover both of those seams. Um, you know, if you're a quarters team, it's OK. Do my safeties match up with the guys are putting in the slot? Like you, you have to figure out how to defend this concept in order to play good defensive football or teams are just going to eat up huge yards against you. Um, and, and so that from a, from a quarterback standpoint and what you're going to be looking for on this, 
is really the middle of the field is is where you're going to go most often. So again, this is very very effective against teams that use single high defenses. Um, you know, Seattle, Earl Thomas is is kind of their answer to this this problem. So most most uh, cover three teams, middle of the field safety teams, they have to figure out how I'm going to cover these two teams, and so that's what the quarterback's focused on. He's trying to play that safety. He, he a lot of times he wants to look him off, so he's going to focus in on one. See if he can get the safety to kind of cheat over to one side of the field and then throw the other seam. So it's uh, less of a progression and more of I'm going to key a specific defender to determine where I'm going to throw the ball. Um, still has some options against man. So if you're you're playing man, you have options for those seams. Oftentimes you're getting one on ones on the outside. So this is where somebody like Torrey Smith can be really effective. You can get him those one on ones on the outside and have a quarterback that will actually throw the deep ball to him. So. Um, that's pretty much it. I mean, four verticals, you'll get some, some guys and, and I'm sure Shanahan does this a little bit there. There are some different conversions you can do to those routes. You can have the outside guys convert to comebacks in certain situations. Um, you can have one of your seam players, uh, do what's called a middle read where he can convert that, that vertical route to like a dig or a post, depending on what they're doing coverage wise. So you can have some of those little adjustments, but, um, it's, it's a very simple, super versatile route that, that gives defenses a lot of problems. Overall, you've got Shanahan's offense. We've talked about how you've got a punch and you've got a counter punch. We talked about, you know, last episode, the the outside zone, and then you have play action and boot actions on top of that. And then you've got a throwback on top of the boot action. And then you've got Yankee, which again, it feels like a comeback route, but is a little bit different and is more of a shot play. We talked about his straight up drop back passes with his drive route, which is a West Coast staple. Then how the follow route looks a lot like the drive route but is quite a bit different. And then four verticals, which, surprise, surprise, is four verticals, but it's still very, very difficult for defenses to defend. So that is in no way, shape, or form a comprehensive uh, kind of outlining of the concepts that Kyle Shanahan likes to run, but it's definitely a base, and it's definitely a couple of example concepts that really help illustrate how he gives you one look, he gives you a punch, he gives you a counter punch, and he's got layers on top of layers. So... Um, I think that about does it for for this week's show. We're I'm actually going to do. I think I'm going to try something a little bit different for this episode on Niners Nation. I'm going to put up a couple of articles in the show description that are links to other articles that we use to build some of the content here. So definitely look for those. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think we've we've also got our call to action right at this point. I mean, it's got to be hashtag ho. I think it's that's the only option. I mean, we don't make it's the definitely here. hashtag ho. Yeah, um, but yeah, but that's about it. I mean, you wanted to get here a day early. Is there anything you'd like to say to the fans as we uh, as we sign off here? I mean, hopefully it gets in. And again, I'm gonna you, you mentioned putting in the articles up. Um, I'm gonna try to kind of tweet examples out. Probably you know, hopefully tomorrow if I get a chance. Um, but but this week sometime for sure, I'll kind of get out some examples on there so you can keep an eye on that to, to help you visualize this stuff. But hopefully, I mean, what we're trying to do with this stuff, uh, you know, every time that we do it is give you some things that you can hopefully look for. So when that you're, when you're watching Niner games and Sunday come next fall, that, that you can kind of hopefully identify some of these things and, and get some more enjoyment out of what's happening on the field there. So uh, hopefully at least if you didn't, if you didn't understand all the concepts or it was difficult to follow because we didn't explain it very well, hopefully if you at least picked up, you know, one or two things that can in- enhance your experience when you're watching Niner games. Next week, we're coming at you with a free agency preview. We're going to come at you, I think, on Tuesday 
uh, because that's when the NFL free agency negotiating window uh, yeah. comes into play. So, I mean, it's it's coming at us hard, man. There's no offseason. The NFL uh, is hitting us with free agency, and so we've already had uh, we've already had a record free agency season, <laughs> and free agency hasn't even started. So yeah, I'm realizing uh, that it, we're so far behind. Like the reason we had more time to do because we ended up doing I think like four episodes on on chips offense and kind of one was more philosophy and and, and stuff like yep. that um but we we got a late start you know with with not hiring a coach until after the super bowl as opposed yeah. to basically right after the regular season um yeah we're, we're kind of playing catch up here so we got a lot to get to free agencies coming um you know i'll have a little bit of a preview of course i think we're going to try to get at least one maybe two episodes up um recapping especially if big things happen we'll kind of play that by ear but yeah, drafts coming up right after that. There's there's a lot to keep us busy. Lots of things to do. So make sure you follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? Uh, it's going to be at Newman NFL. Indeedly doodly. So that about does it. Again, if you are fans of the show, if you like what we're doing, definitely leave a review on iTunes. It helps other folks find the show a little easier, a little better. We're on Stitcher. We're on TuneIn. Although we had to remove that damn TuneIn button because it was... Uh, rendering a little weird so sorry if you're a huge tune-in fan but well i, mean, I guess i'm gonna maybe assume we'll that if it. you're a tune-in person you've already found us you're already like there you don't need the button on the yeah exactly the but that about does it for this week we'll come at you next week uh and as always go niners Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Verge Cast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. So you listen to podcasts, check it out.